Our great God, we love you so much, and we know that you love us infinitely more than we could ever love you. We know because you tell us in your word. We know because you tell us in your word that you are powerful, that you are wise, that you are in control of the universe at all times, that nothing takes you by surprise, that you can see the future perfectly, and that you are orchestrating everything for your glory, to the plan of your will, and for the good of those who love you. And so God, right now, we pray that you would be with us during this time. Not just this time that we're here today, but during this uncertain time in our world. We pray that you would be with us. We know you have promised in your word never to leave us and never to forsake us. And we pray that you wouldn't. God, we pray that you would protect the vulnerable during this time. The elderly and those with immune systems that are already compromised. We pray that you would protect them from this. Protect them from sickness and death. We pray that you would protect all of us. Give us immunity. Give us the ability not to to contract this disease. Uh, And God, for those who do, we pray that you would give us strength to endure it. God, we pray that you would end this, end this pandemic. And we pray, God, that you would end it in such a way that people would have no other explanation for what happened than the Lord stepped in. I pray that the way that this would end would cause people to look to you and to know that you are God, to know that you are the ruler of the universe, especially people who do not yet acknowledge that. I pray that this would lead them to see that, and I pray that you would end this in such a way that people would be able to see that you are God and to know that they must reckon with you. God, we pray for those who are working right now, for those who are working overtime during this pandemic, for politicians, for our government leaders. We pray for our health care workers. We pray for our municipal workers and our city governments. And we pray for grocery store workers and everybody who cannot work from home. God, we pray that you would bless them with energy and strength. We pray that you would bless them with immunity. And God, we pray that the rest of us would do what we can to support them. But God, we also pray for those that are going to experience financial hardship because of this. We pray for those that are losing jobs because of this, for those who cannot work. And we pray that you would bless them, God. Take care of them and their families. Take care of their finances. God, we pray that this would give us and the rest of the world a hunger and a thirst for you. We pray that through all of this, you would give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Help us not to waste this time that you have given us. Help us not to waste the extra minutes and hours that we have to use for your glory, to seek you in our personal lives. I pray that we would become closer to you during this than we ever have before. And it would change the rest of our lives. I pray that we would seek you through this and you would give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness as Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. God, bless us during this time. Protect us. And may your name be praised. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen.
Now, brothers and sisters, I'll ask you to take your Bibles out with me. If you've got your Bibles at home, take them out with me. We're going to go to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, the fourth book in your Bibles. If you haven't been joining us in person, we've been going through the book of Numbers in our sermon series on Sunday morning. Uh, And we're about halfway through the book at this point. And today, believe it or not, we come to the crux of the book of Numbers. The, the, The most important story in the book of Numbers, the hinge on which everything turns in the book of Numbers. We come to that today. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to begin here in just a moment. Chapter 13, starting in verse 25. Uh, I think this will probably be most effective if you take out your own Bibles, and perhaps you could even take out a pen and paper and take notes if you're in a situation where you can do that right now. Uh, But that might be the most effective way uh, to interact with this sermon, at least right now. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 25, and I'm going to read all the way up through the very beginning part of Numbers chapter 14. Uh, So if you follow along with me, it's kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but uh, we're getting into the the most important story in the book of Numbers, as we said. So let's do chapter 13, starting in verse 25, the book of Numbers. It says, At the end of the forty days, they returned from spying out the land. Now what's happening here is God has brought the people to the edge of the promised land. The promised land that he promised to Abraham long ago. He's brought all the Israelites from Mount Sinai through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And now they're about ready to go take it. And God says to Moses, I want you to send out 12 men. 12 men, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And they're going to do reconnaissance for us. And they're going to show you that this land is what I said it was. They're going to bring you back a report of the land. They're going to bring you back a a sampling of the fruit of the land, and you're going to see that this land is what I said it was before you go and take it from the people who are already dwelling in the land. All right, so that's the, the setting where we're coming up on right here. God sends 12 spies in, and in verse 25, they return from spying out the land. Verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Chapter 14, verse 1. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. 
And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation, and said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now this morning, as we look at this passage, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the despair of the ten spies. Ten of the the spies despaired, and the people despaired with them. So I want you to see the despair of the ten and of the people of Israel. But then I want you to contrast that with the hope and the faith and the trust of the two, Joshua and Caleb. Now how fitting is it that we come to this Today, in this moment in our world, where we're looking at despair versus hope. Now this sermon that we're looking at today, this text that we're looking at today, this was planned back in January. Okay, I didn't do this just for today. This was planned all the way back in January. And this is why I think it's so important to preach through books of the Bible. Why? Because the Lord knows what his people need better than the preacher does. The Lord knows what his people need better even than the people do. The Lord knows what we will need and the Lord knows when we will need it. And he knew before the foundations of the earth that we would need the despair versus hope theme of Numbers chapters 13 and 14 today, this very Sunday. And so how fitting it is that as we preach through the book of Numbers, God has already planned out what we need exactly when we needed it. And so first, let's look at the despair of the ten. They report back and they say, we can't do this. These people are giants, right? And they also say the cities, they're large and they're fortified. Think about Jericho, okay? They're looking at cities like Jericho, cities with walls all around them, right? They're not exaggerating this. The cities are large. The cities are fortified and strong. And in and of themselves, they don't have the power to take over these cities, And they rebel against Moses and Aaron, and they want a new leader to take them back to Egypt. They want to go back into Egypt, as if they've they've forgotten yet again the slavery and the, the torment that they were in under their slave drivers in Egypt. Now, of all the things that the ten mention as they come back in their assessment of the land, of all the things that they mention, what's the one factor that they fail to include in their assessment. What's the one thing they fail to include? It's God. God. The the most important factor of all. They've forgotten about God himself. How many times are we like this as well? How many times when we face problems and dilemmas in our own lives, do we strategize and plan and call people for their wisdom And in in all of it, forget completely about the Lord. Forget completely about the fact that the Lord can do more in a second than we can do in 50 years' time. We've forgotten about God many times. Let me ask you this. When was the last time when you faced a problem that you fasted and prayed and begged the Lord to fix it? When was the last time we did that? Brothers and sisters, what better time than now? 
to fast and pray. And when I say fast, what I mean is going without food, as the people did in Scripture. Going without food, as people have done throughout church history, to seek the Lord on a particular matter. Throughout the Bible and throughout church history, when people wanted to seek the Lord in a special, very pointed way, they fasted. They went without food for a particular period of time. And what better time than now to perhaps skip breakfast or skip breakfast and lunch or maybe even skip an entire day of food and to seek the Lord through prayer and fasting. I'm here to tell you, when you do this, your spiritual senses are heightened. God has created this spiritual discipline in such a way that when we go without food and we say to God, God, we need you more than we need our food. God, you are more important even than my daily bread. Your spiritual senses are heightened. Your praying is, is a manner in which you, you've never prayed before. At least that's been my experience. And when you go through it, every time you have a, a hunger pain, you stop. And you ask God to take that away. And then you say, God, I, I'm seeking you for whatever I'm seeking you, right? You use every single time that you're hungry as a, a prompt to stop and pray and to seek the Lord. It's a, a very biblical way of seeking God. And what better time than now could there be for us to fast and pray and seek the Lord? And so that might be something for you to discuss with your family today. Or it might be something for you to, to, to think about prayerfully of whether or not you should pick a meal or two meals or even a day to fast and to seek the Lord and to seek His mercy in all of this. You see, we talk of social distancing when we talk of medical breakthroughs and flattening the curve, and all that is wise and important. We're not discounting any of that. But what's the most important factor in this whole coronavirus pandemic? The most important factor of it all is God. God is the most important factor. God could end all of this with a single word from his mouth. Remember, Jesus looked at a storm and said, be still. And the creation obeyed. God can do whatever he wants with his creation, with just a word from his mouth. This is the same God who looked at the void and said, let there be light. God's word is the most powerful force in the universe. And he could end all of this with a simple word from his mouth. So don't forget about the most important factor in all of this. It's so easy for us to forget about God. How many times when we face dilemmas do we turn to the business types? Do we turn to the entrepreneurs or the problem solvers? Even in churches we do this. We do this in churches, right? And it's this illusion that we are in control. Well, guess what? God is showing us right now who's really in control. And it's not us. That's a lesson I think we're all learning right now. Now, this is a serious problem we're facing. We're not going to sugarcoat this. We're not going to look away and act like this is not a problem. It's a serious problem we're facing. The Israelites were facing a serious problem as well. It was legitimate. They faced giants and fortified cities. This is a serious problem we're facing today, serious enough to cancel church services over. And at times like this, brothers and sisters, we don't need sermons on the power of positive thinking. We don't need a sermon on your best life now or the best is yet to come. That pop psychology stuff, it sounds great when everyone's comfortable. 
But when suffering comes, it's exposed for the flimsy band-aid that it really is. The Israelites faced a legitimate problem. And we face a legitimate problem. We're not going to put our hands in our ears and go la, la, la and close our eyes and act like everything's fine. It's not. But who is on our side? You see, the Israelites and the ten spies, they forgot the most important factor of them all. God was on their side. God had promised to give them the promised land. They were favored by God, the creator and sustainer and controller of the universe. You see, a mouse looks like an absolute giant to an ant, but not to a lion. Not to a lion. And the lion, brothers and sisters, is on our side. This coronavirus pandemic is a small thing in the sight of the Lord. This is the Lord who manages billions of galaxies with billions of stars every single second of every single day. And the earth is like this to him. He can just pick it up and drop it if he wants to. This is a small thing in the sight of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And he is on our side if we are in Christ this morning. You are his child if you are in Christ this morning. And believe me, he cares more for you than he does a gigantic star on the other side of the galaxy. Now also, I want you to see not just the despair of the ten, but the trust of the two. The despair of the ten, but also the trust or the hope of the two, Joshua and Caleb. Look back at chapter 13, verse 30 with me. Chapter 13, verse 30, and look at what Caleb says there in verse 30. Caleb says, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Now, I'd be willing to bet that Caleb said this with a smirk on his face. I think he was smiling when he said this. I think he was excited. I think he was sitting there like, guys, what are we waiting for? The Lord has promised to do this for us. The Lord has promised to use us to take the promised land. Let's go do it. I'm excited to be a part of what the Lord is about to do. I think he was really raring to go because he trusted in the Lord. And do you know what makes me cry more than anything when I watch movies? I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit, okay? What makes me cry more than anything when I watch movies? It's, it's silly, but it's charge scenes. Charge scenes. You know, the, the scenes where an army is lined up against their enemy far away, and then they listen to some rousing speech by their, their leader, and then they charge straight into battle against their enemies. I watch these things on, on movies and I'm, I'm boo-hooing like a little girl. I'm crying. Like Lord of the Rings when King Theoden and all the horsemen charge into that battle from the top of that hill. Or you might think of like the new Avengers movie or Braveheart or something like that. And my wife's you know, watching it with me looking over like, what are you doing? right? But over the years I've asked myself this question. Why in the world am I crying during these scenes? Why in the world does this stuff make me cry? I don't, I don't get it. I tried to look at myself and analyze it, tried to find an answer, and I, I think I've found it. I think it's this. You see, I have this longing inside of me to give my life in service of something greater than myself. Just so you guys know, every now and then I'll see a little thing that Facebook Live's trying to reconnect or something, but I think we're, we're probably still good. But back to that illustration of charge scenes. I, I'm 35. I don't have any kind of uh, experience of war in my life, and I'm thankful for that. But I do know this from reading history. 
During our two greatest world wars, there were young men who desperately wanted to go fight for their country and were upset when they couldn't. Upset when they couldn't go fight for their country. Now, why in the world would someone be upset that they couldn't go die for their country and face that? Why would that happen? Well, it's because of this this feeling that I think God's placed inside of all of us. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to risk their lives for something bigger than themselves, right? And look at Caleb here. I think that's what he feels. He's excited to go risk his life and give it to the plan of God. Not only because he wants to be a part of something bigger than himself, but because he knows, he knows the promise of God. Now, do you know what happens 45 years later to Caleb? 45 years later, this same Caleb, after they wander through the wilderness for 40 years, God sustains Caleb and Joshua as the only two men over the age of 20 who get to go into the the promised land. The only two men over the age of 20 at this point who end up surviving the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And they go in, and Caleb is 85 years old in Joshua chapter 14. You don't have to turn here, but just listen to this story. Joshua 14, Caleb's 85 years old, but God has allowed him to remain physically fit and strong even up until 85 years old. And Caleb says that. He says, God has has caused me to be as fit today and have as much energy today as I did back when I was 40. And he asks Joshua, the leader of the Lord's army at that time, he asks Joshua for the privilege and honor of taking the hill country. And all of the the people that are in the hill country, the Hittites and the, the Jebusites and all the people that we just read are taking over the hill country. Caleb wants to go take them on. And he'll do it by himself if, if that's what it takes. And he's excited to do it. And he says there in Joshua chapter 14... He says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. You see see what he's doing? He's excited to go do the Lord's work, to give his life in service and to risk for the Lord. He's excited. He's like Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. He's ready for one last adventure, right? And so he grabs a small group of men and they go And they strike down every powerful man and every group of men that that were dwelling in the land at that time. Now I want you to think about this, brothers and sisters. Think about how excited you would be if God told you, I want you to go to war against my enemies. Yes, there's risk, but I'm on your side and I'm not on theirs. And I want to use you to bring about my victory. Brothers and sisters, if God said that to me today, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, you just give me the go-ahead. I'm ready to go and I'm excited to go because I want to risk my life. I want to risk my life for your glory. I want to give my life in service to your kingdom. We're created like that, brothers and sisters. We've all got this longing inside of us to do that. And Caleb is feeling it here. But I also want you to see what Joshua and Caleb say down in chapter 14. Look in your Bibles with me. Chapter 14, starting in verse 6. 14, verse 6. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. 
a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do you get the sense of excitement that Caleb and Joshua have, and the confidence they have in God, because of God's promise and God's power? It's not themselves. It's not in and of themselves that they have the power to do this. It's God, and they know God's about to do it. Now, the the depressingly sad thing is no one follows with them. No one wants to go take it with them. The rest of the the hundreds of thousands of Israelites, they follow the ten. But no, Joshua and Caleb, what are they focused on? When they said that, what were they focused on? They're not focused on themselves. They're not focused on the the giants in the land. They're focused on God. They said, verse 8, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. Not we will do this on our own. No, God will do it. The battle belongs to the Lord. Have you ever sang that hymn? The battle belongs to the Lord. Now what greater illustration of that do we have than this whole shutdown thing we're going through right now with the coronavirus? You know what the only thing you can do right now to fight this battle is? Stay at home and do nothing. That's what you're called to do to fight this battle. To stay at home And to do nothing. You have to let God fight the battle for you. And brothers and sisters, this is what the Christian life is all about. This this staying at home and doing nothing to fight the battle, that's an illustration of the Christian life itself. You cannot be good enough to save yourself. You cannot do enough good works to make God let you into heaven. You cannot be saved by what you do, brothers and sisters. God has to save you through the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus says right before he gives up his final breath, it is finished. And brothers and sisters, it is. It is finished. Our task is to trust. Our task is to believe. Our task is to let Christ be our Savior. Just like the people of Israel, all they had to do was receive the promised land from God. And believe that he would take them into it. This is our task. You can't do anything right now but stay at home and do nothing. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God has called us to do in this Christian life to be saved. You can't do it yourself. You can't do enough to be saved. You have to trust. You have to cast your burden on the Lord. Now look at verse 9 as well. Verse 9 that we just read, chapter 14. They say, do not fear them. Do not fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. The Lord is with us, not them. Right? Again, this is nothing to God. Not, Not what they were going through, not what we're going through. This is nothing to God. It's a small thing in the sight of God. They say, do not fear these people. Brothers and sisters, fear is an important thing. Fear is an important thing, but it's important that we have the appropriate fear and the fear of the right object. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs says in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, you will be free from the fear of this world. If you fear the Lord, you will be free from the fear of this world. But if you forget the fear of the Lord, then you will fear others. And you will fear the evils of this world. Fear the Lord. Don't fear the world. Don't fear others. Fear the Lord. 
Now, finally, let me ask you this. Which side are you on? We've got the despair of the ten. We've got the trust of the two. Which side are you on? Now, you see, we like to read this story and stories like it, and we like to think, oh, I would be on the side of Joshua and Caleb. Of course I would, right? Would you? Would you have been on the side of Joshua and Caleb back then? Are you that unique? There were hundreds of thousands of Israelites that followed the ten spies in despair. And there were only two that believed and trusted. Two out of hundreds of thousands. No one joined Joshua and Caleb. And as much as we would love to be Joshua and Caleb, more often than not, I think we find that we're the ten. In fact, when I look back at my life, I have most often been like the man in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 22. Let me read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 22. A man has brought his little son to Jesus who is demon-possessed. And he's, he's scared for his son's life. Listen to what he says to Jesus about this demon and how it's affecting his son. He says, And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and this is me, the father of the child cried out and said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Brothers and sisters, that's us. Or at least it's me. I don't know about you, but it's me. Simultaneously holding belief and unbelief at the same time. God, I I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I don't believe as I should. I believe, but I don't believe as I should. Help my unbelief, God. We need God in all of this, not just to get us through, but to help us to trust Him. Right? The, the, The encouragement today, or the... The, the, the sermon today is not trust God more. You need to trust God more. Now, that, that's not going to help anybody. But what I am saying is, plead with the Lord to help you to trust Him more. If you want to. Do you want to trust Him more? Are you like this man in Mark chapter 9? I believe, help my unbelief. Plead with the Lord to help you to trust Him more. And He will. The Lord helps us to trust in the Lord. God helps us to believe in God. God helps us to trust God. We need Him to do so. Because in and of ourselves, our faith isn't strong enough. You see, we need someone with greater faith than our own to lead us into the promised land. We need someone with greater faith than our own to lead us into the promised land. We need the true and better Joshua. You know, up at the beginning of chapter 13, Joshua's name was changed. In verse 16 of chapter 13, Moses changes Joshua's name. His name was Hosea, which means salvation. That's what that name means. But in verse 16, you'll see Moses changes his name to Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And brothers and sisters, there's a world of difference. There's a world of difference between salvation in Joshua and salvation in the Lord. The Lord saves. And Joshua lives up to his name in what he says in chapter 14 when he says, he will bring us into the promised land. 
You see, what's really interesting about Joshua, in the Hebrew, the name Joshua and the name Jesus in the Hebrew come from the same root. Joshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, Yeshua, and both of those names mean the Lord saves. Remember, the angel told Joseph, you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. Joshua in the Old Testament, is meant to point us to Jesus. He's an Old Testament type of Jesus. And after God sentences these people to wander for 40 years in the desert, which we're going to look at next week, God sentences the people to wander for 40 years in the desert because of their unbelief and rebellion here at this stage of what we're looking at today. After that happens, who's the one who leads them across the Jordan and into the promised land? It's Joshua. It's not Moses, it's Joshua who leads them across the Jordan and into the promised land. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, when our time in the wilderness of this life is done, if we are in Christ, Jesus himself will lead us across the Jordan and into the promised land. Trust in that today, brothers and sisters. Trust in Christ. Trust in the one who has the faith that you cannot have Yourself. Trust in the one who did what you could never do for yourself on the cross. Trust in Jesus who died for your sins. If only you would give them up to him. If only you would repent and in faith come to him. Trust in Jesus to save you because you cannot save yourself. Trust in Jesus to take you into the promised land because you cannot lead yourself there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this technology and what we're able to do right now. And I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I can't be with, but I know we are together in spirit. God, we thank you for your good word to us. We thank you for this warning of the rebellion of the Israelites and the failure to trust you and to remember that you are the most important factor in all of this. God, I pray that as we are home and as we are quarantined, so to speak, and as we are shut down in our communities, I pray that this would lead us to you. I pray that this would lead us to a newfound sense of our neediness, how much we need you, God. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you and for your son, Jesus. And God, may we come out of this whole thing changed. May this change us for the rest of our lives. May we not waste this time that you have graciously given to us. For we know that you will use this evil for the good purposes that you have for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. God, thank you so much for what we've been able to do today. And uh, God, I thank you for every way that you will bless us through this and protect us. We trust you. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.